Good morning. We'll try that again again. Good morning. I see a little bit more maroon today or whatever color that is that Aggies wear. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Derek. Uh, I'm not an Aggie, but I, I'm here in Texas, and I know there's a lot of Aggies here, and so I'm going to play to the crowd a little bit today. Uh, hey, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, we are so honored and glad that you took time out of your weekend. If you've been here since day one or if this is your first time visiting, we just want to tell you thank you, uh, and we're excited to worship with you because we do not worship a pastor, amen. We do not worship a worship band, Amen. We worship the living God, and that's who we gather around today. That's, that's our heart, and that's our cry. Uh, one thing before we get into the word of God today, uh, next week is going to be a fun week. Pastor Curtis is going to be back here, and he is starting a new series where we're going to walk step by step through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And so two things, uh, I want to invite you to come back next week as we start the series, but, but the second thing that we really want to do is we want to uh, uh, urge you, exhort you to bring your, your Bible next week. Uh, for the next few weeks, all the way actually close to Christmas, we're going to be walking through uh, Mark. And, and we want all of us to not just hear it from a stage, but we want to be digging into the scriptures together. And so I want to encourage you to be here next week, but also to bring your Bible, bring something to write with. Uh, it's going to be a great introduction and first week in the book of Mark. Well, today is a wild card, which I love that. That means I get to preach whatever I want, which is fun. Uh, and actually, when I was praying about what I want to preach on and what the Lord, I should say, what the Lord was leading me to, uh, he actually was kind of stirring me for a sermon I preached back in Cyprus a few weeks ago when we were in the midst of the Together series. And so today, I want us to look at this, uh, this question of why do we pray when we come together? I, th- I think it's important as a church, like we said when we went through this series, that we don't just want to be mechanical robots that go through the motion and, and I give because I'm supposed to give and I, I bow my head when I'm supposed to bow and I pray and I, I praise because that's what we do. No, we want to take a step back and we say, why do we do what we do? We want to be present. We want to acknowledge. We want to understand why do we pray when we come together? Why do we have a prayer time at 845 before most of you get here? Why do we pray together? Why do we have prayer ministry why do we have our access room in the back? That's what I want us to get to. Now, mo- most of us think about prayer. We think about personal prayer. We think about my time with the Lord where I can just pray. Maybe it's you and Jesus riding on I-45 because you know you need Jesus on I-45. And it's you praying to God, and we think of that personal prayer. And I think that's a good thing because Jesus modeled this. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it, it says this. But he, that being Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so Jesus would be in the midst of life. He'd be ministering. He'd be preaching. He'd be uh, praying for people. He'd be eating with people. He'd be sharing life with people. Lots of people wanted a piece of Jesus. And in the midst of that, he would be present. He would be in tune with the Father, praying, ministering, speaking life, encouragement, speaking identity. And then it says here that he would pull away from the crowd. He would go up on a mountain all by himself, and he would pray to the Father. Personal prayer. Just him and his papa. And so if Jesus did that... If we're his disciples, which means we are conforming to his image, we're following him, obeying him, even if we don't want to, then we can see here Jesus set the example that personal prayer should be a priority in every single person's life that follows Jesus. But, but the scripture doesn't stop there. 
There's lots of scriptures where it shows a man or a woman praying to God and this interaction. But what we also see in scripture, there's tons of, of examples of corporate prayer where, where people are gathered together and praying together. And we see this just a few chapters later in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. It's about Jesus again. It says, now about eight days after these sayings. So Jesus was just teaching. Eight days later, it says that uh, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So we see this, this, this tandem, this parallel path. There's sometimes Jesus would remove himself from the crowd, but there's other times he said, hey, guys, why don't, why don't you come with me? Because we're going to go together, and we're going to pray. And so that's what I want us to look at today. What are we doing? Why do we pray together? There are a few things that we can do, I believe, that would promote more unity and more community than praying together. So if you're, if you're taking notes, this is number one of three points, so you know when we're going to get to the end. Number one is we pray together to be united. We pray together to be united. This is what Charles Finney said. He was a revivalist that lived in the 1800s. He said this, nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Somebody say amen. And nothing tends more to cement the hearts of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. And so it says here, this, this action of prayer, when I pray together, when I'm pouring out, when I'm really honest and truthful, when I'm doing that in the context of community, he says that our hearts are still together, that we're united together. We, we are united when we pray together. Now, now, this truth is something that Jesus taught. We, we know that Jesus taught about you know, how to pray in, in Matthew 6, and, and we quote it all the time. It's, it's said almost before every football game uh, in the locker room. It's usually said afterwards at some point. And we've all gone through the motions and, and said this prayer before. We, we all have. And so I just want to make sure if you haven't, we're going to do this today. I want us to say this out loud together. F- follow my lead here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now just think about this. This is the chance that Jesus knew would be for all history where people would say, how do we pray? And Jesus knows this is going to be written down in the scripture. And in the moment Jesus has when his disciples come to him, this is how he teaches them to pray. Now, now do you notice, he teaches them to pray in the context of community. See, it's not my father, our father. It's, it's not give me my daily bread, it's give us our daily bread. That's you and, and me. Not forgive my debts, but our debts. We forgive as we have been forgiven. Lead us, not just Derek, but, but us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we see the context that Jesus taught the disciples to pray was in the context of community, in the context of praying together. And what I love about this is that the unity that we see Jesus teach was the unity of who they're praying to. It says, our Father, as believers pray together, we are united under God the Father, under God the Son, and under God the Holy Spirit. Corporate prayer unites us because it reminds us that we are part of the same family with the same Heavenly Father. It reminds us that we are followers of the same King that we have been saved by the same blood of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is the common 
denominator that unites all believers despite our different preferences, our different personalities, and even, yes, our even different denominations. See, that's why we can have a Methodist and a Presbyterian and a Catholic priest and a Baptist and a Bayou City Fellowship, whatever we are, and, um, and we can all pray together. Why? Because we're united under the name of Jesus. We have the same heavenly Father, and so when we pray together, we're united with God in this vertical relationship, but we're also united with one another, recognizing that we are part of the same family. And so what I think corporate prayer teaches us that we are not to be on this journey alone. We are to fight for peace. We actually need to be peacemakers instead of peacekeepers, initiating peace, initiating community, initiating togetherness, not just trying to receive it. And what I know about my own life is when I pray for someone, it's really hard for me to hate them. When I pray with someone, it's, it's hard for me to be gathered with them in prayer and, and not like them and not wish the best for them. That's why my number one um, advice for married couples, pre-married couples, is to pray and pray often. Because if you're married, you know that there are going to be days where you do not like your spouse. And maybe though today is you. Here's my recommendation. Pray together. Pray together. Uh, I can tell you, my, my wife back there, there are times about once a year where she gets mad at me, just once a year. And um, maybe twice, maybe on a, a good day. Um, but what we have found, the catalyst that really transformed our marriage was, was one, understanding who the Holy Spirit is and inviting him. But number two is for the first six or seven years of our life together as a married couple, we never really prayed together. And then, with the Lord working our life, we began to come together and pray together and pray over our kids. And so I want to exhort you and encourage you, and specifically men. I'm not stepping on your toes, but I really am trying a little bit today. God has called you to lead your family in many different ways. Many different ways. And what I know that your family needs more than anything else, more than your money, more than your long-term retirement plans, they need you to lead them spiritually. And that begins with prayer. Now listen, I, I meet with a lot of guys throughout the week at our church, and, and this is what I consistently hear. And so this is not just a bias, this is, this is real data. Men are scared to pray with their wives. Really, really are. Men, men are scared to speak out loud, to pray. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna encourage you men, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. That, that may mean that tonight you go to your little, your little lady and you say, hey, baby, I haven't prayed for like 20 years, and I'm sorry. But would you give me the honor to pray with you tonight? Maybe tonight's the night. Maybe tonight's the night your marriage changes. And, and here's what I just want to give some feedback to the ladies in the house that have married husbands uh, some of the reason, and this does not apply to everybody, so, so do not take me wrong. This applies to the, some of the guys I meet with, is a lot of times the guys are scared to pray because they've been uh, criticized for the way they pray by the woman who is there to encourage them and to love them. And so I hear a lot of guys say, man, my wife's such a better prayer than I am. When I pray, she says, why don't you pray like that guy? Why don't you pray more theologi theologically sound prayers? Why don't you make 
uh, more sense when you pray. And so, so women, what I'm asking you tonight in this room, if, if you're a married lady and your husband comes to you ever to say, can I pray with you? This is what I want you to do afterwards. Honey, thank you. I don't care if it was one uh, sentence and, it, and he stuttered the whole time. I don't care. You tell him, thank you for taking the initiative to lead us. Because what I know in my own marriage, that it changes everything when we pray together. It unites us. It builds intimacy. And so if you're a married couple, you need to start that. And listen, you single guys in the room. Some of you are single in this room. You're like, don't preach to the married guys the whole time. Okay, here's a, here's a word for you. If you want to get married someday, listen. Right here, phone you If you want to get married someday. I don't know what your situation is, but if you want to get married someday, listen. I don't know, yeah. This is what I need you to do. You plan today for what God's got for you in the future. You start praying today and don't wait to hit the help button when you get in your marriage. So men and women, if you're single in here and you want to get married, don't wait for the future. You start today to be a godly man and a godly woman. Start learning how to pray with the Father, just you and him. And then when you get into your marriage, you're going to already have a step up and you're going to be able to come together and be united in your marriage or in your relationships if you don't get married, any kind of relationships. Prayer is central to our unity. It is central to our community. And so if you had to ask me today, what's the number one advice I have for anyone who wants to grow in their faith? Number one, pray. And when I say prayer, you tell the truth to God like we read in Psalms. You you be a truthful prayer. Don't just be a surface prayer, a truthful prayer. And then the, the hardest part is you shut your mouth and you listen. Pray and listen. And if you ask me, what what can I do for our church? Bayou City Fellowship, Derek, I've been here. I love what the church is doing. I love the vision of the church. What can I do to benefit our church? You can serve in the kids. You can go to the parking lot and serve. You can be in here and serve. You can be on a prayer ministry. Here's the number one thing I would ask all of you to do is pray for our church. Pray for our church. Pray for the people of our church. That's the best use of your time and your energy is to pray. And what we see in the early church is they were known, they were marked for how they prayed together. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says that, that all these people, it, it says that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoted to prayer. I don't have to pray, I don't make a little time to pray. No, they were devoted to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This was what marked the early church was prayer. It wasn't a great band. It was an amazing teacher. Because even Paul had people fall asleep on him, which gives me a little solace sometimes. No, they were marked by prayer. And then we go a little further in Acts chapter 12. I think we're going to have this on the board here. It says, When he, this is Peter, we're going to get to the story a little later, realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. That's so confusing to me. I'm glad we have one name, amen? (laughs) Mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is what marked the early church, the devotion to praying together. And this is what I want the mark of Bayou City Fellowship to be, is not that we can do a bunch of amazing things, but, but first and foremost, that we are a people that pray together. You see, without personal prayer, coupled with corporate prayer, we are, work, are a weak and confused church that will eat eventually be divided. We will be impotent and dysfunctional 
without being united together through prayer. That's one of the most important activities we can engage in as a church. So we pray together to be united. Number two reason why we pray together, we pray together to receive direction. We pray together to receive direction. See, when we gather together and when we pray, we are seeking direction from God. We want to hear directly from him in order to align with him. And we see this all throughout scriptures. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1. So, so we've got the story in Acts where you know, Jesus has told them, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him, but just wait. Don't go outside without the Holy Spirit. Trust me, you don't want to go do that, so you wait. And so we've got 120 men and women gathered in this upper room, and they are gathered together, and they don't know exactly what to do because they don't know what it looks like for Pentecost to come because Pentecost hasn't come yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet. So they know a little context. Jesus said, wait, but they're not sure what to wait for exactly and what that looks like. And so they're gathered together and they're praying and they're seeking God. And then along the way, they realize, oh, wait, there was 12 of us, but now there's only 11 of us. And if it was good for Jesus to have 12, then maybe we should continue to have 12. And so in verse 24, it says this, and they prayed. Confused, not sure what to do, wondering how to move forward. It says, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry of the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. You see, the church at that time, the 120, they were seeking direction from God. And so what did they do? They prayed together and they prayed. We come together to first and foremost be aligned and be united with God and with each other. But then we also come together to pray in this building and in community groups to seek direction. When I first started our uh, community group, uh, I don't know, about three years ago, we moved down from Ohio and got plugged into a community group. Uh, it was amazing, and a few months in, uh, my wife and I, you know, six or seven, I guess maybe eight months in, my wife and I were just feeling this stirring, like the Lord was really kind of leading us to something different career-wise. And at the same time, uh, I had an opportunity, uh, my, my church back in Ohio, uh, they had sent me an offer to come on full-time staff at a position that I would have loved. All the things were great. Uh, the money was good. The benefits were great. Uh, doing exactly what I wanted to do. And so I didn't know what to do, though. I'm in corporate America. My, my pastor back in Ohio, all the way back in the Holy Land, has asked me to come back. And so uh, I don't know what to do. And so what do I do? I go to my community group, and I say, hey, guys, I need you to pray for me and my wife, Kate, because we need some direction. This is a big decision in our life. We want you to join us and to pray. And so for the next month, they would pray. We would pray in our community group sometimes over my wife and I. My wife and I would pray. The pastor in Ohio and his wife would pray. And when I prayed consistently, everything looked great on paper. But every time I prayed, it felt like the Spirit was just saying no. No. And I'm like, wait, wait, God, God, did you read the job description? Like, did you see? Like, it, it, that's what you made me to do. Like, why can't I go do that? And, but every time I would press in, my community group praying for me, my wife and I, my pastor, and we get to the final thing where we said, well, that this specific day we're going to make a decision. And I called my pastor, and, and I said, hey, man, we've been praying. I've got a bunch of people down here praying for direction. And uh, as much as I hate to admit it, 
I don't think the Holy Spirit's in this, and so I'm going to say no to this. And he said, you know what, I was praying, and I really want you to be here, but, but I don't think the answer is yes either. So I give you my full blessing to go forward. Now, now when I said no in that moment, I thought all the doors for me had closed. I wasn't preaching down here at Bayou City Fellowship. They didn't even know who I was here, but I was uh, opening up doors and checking kids into the kids' check-in, which is a great job to have, by the way, because I met a lot of people. It's awesome. But, but they had no idea that I was a preacher, no idea that I had preached back in Ohio, no idea, okay? And so I felt like the Lord had just closed the door, and now there was no opportunity for me to ever preach again. I just, that's just not who God made me to be, I guess. I'm just going to go on in corporate America. Well, uh, about a week later, and I've shared this before, but, but a week later, I get this random text from this number I didn't have, and it said, hey, bro, or hey, bud, that's how he always says it. Hey, bud, this is Curtis Jones. Would you consider preaching in December? Now, Curtis and I had only had about a five or ten minute discussion before this. But, but you see, what happened is we were gathered together to pray for direction. When we stepped in obedience to what we felt like the God was leading us, I thought the doors had shut, but what actually happened is a better door had opened. And so I want to encourage you, when we come together, we should be seeking direction, the will of God, to hear him specifically to us. And as a church body, we should be asking for direction when we pray together. Now, here is the good news that we can breathe a sigh of relief. When somebody comes to you to be prayed for, you don't have to have all the answers. Somebody say amen. Amen. See, when somebody comes to me in prayer to say, hey, I got this issue, uh, I want you to pray for me, uh, what, what our tendency is is to just immediately jump on it and fill it up with a bunch of words without even asking God, what, what would you want me to pray for, or without having this unction inside of what he's leading us to. And so we fill up a bunch of words, but, but I would put before you today, those words sometimes can be just shallow. And so I'm going to put before you, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, will you pray for me, and you really don't know how to pray for them, you really don't know what God's doing, and, and I want to give you the liberty to say, hey, you know what? I don't know how to pray for you. And instead of just jumping into a ramble, we say, but, but I, I do know a God who knows everything about your situation. Can we just ask him for direction, and, and, and then we just listen? That should bring freedom in this room today. We don't have to have all the answers, but we proclaim that we know a God who has all the answers. And so when you say, I, I would love to pray with you, I want to pray with you, but let's, let's pause, hit the pause button, and, and let's just ask God, how should I even pray for you? And what I found happens more times than not, as I'm silent and as I'm listening, as they're silent and listen, what God will do is he'll bring a scripture up to my, to my memory. He'll bring a picture or a word. He'll bring a situation, or maybe he'll bring another question, and, and, and I've got to have the faith to step out and to take a risk and to share that with him. Or the other thing that God will do when we're sitting there quiet is he'll say, Derek, shut your mouth. Let me do my job and you do your job. Sometimes God just wants us to get out of the way to allow his spirit to minister to that person. And so I just want to speak that freedom is we don't have to have all the answers. We are to ask God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to pray? Just think about how much more effective our prayers would be if we began by asking God for direction instead of giving God directions. Imagine the freedom, the power, if we sought God's direction We listened, and then we did exactly what he told us to do. 
How much more freedom, how much more powerful would our prayers be if that's how we do it? This is one of the main reasons we gather together to pray, church, is to seek direction from God. And this is what we stand on is the truth that God says, his word says, Jesus said this in Matthew, if you seek, you will find. If you ask, it will be given to you. So I want to challenge you to embrace and apply this truth in your time with God, to ask him for direction, to ask him, God, how do I even pray when I'm gathered together with my church? How should I pray? Because we pray to, number one, be united. We pray, number two, to receive direction. And then the third thing that we're going to hit as we wrap up today, we pray together to co-labor with God and with others. We co-labor with one another, with God, to see his kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. Now, just think about this concept. Listen, God does not need you. Sorry to bust your bubble today. God is not lacking in any shape or form. He knows everything. He is able to do everything. He does not need any of us to sustain himself or to even hold this world together. But here's the amazing, mind-blowing peace of God and his sovereignty. He has designed us, designed this universe, and designed prayer so that we could co-labor with him to see his kingdom come. That, that oftentimes what we see is God will actually wait to release his kingdom until we ask for it. John Wesley, who was an amazing preacher, he said this, God does nothing but by prayer. God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. John Wesley, I think, is on to something. See, we have this amazing gift that God says, hey, I can do all this, but I'm actually going to ask you to co-mission, co-labor, partner with me for the redemption of this world. And so that's what we do. If you, if you have a Bible, flip over to Acts chapter 12. We see this amazing story about Peter, and this is where we're going to land today. I'm going to read a, a section of scripture to give us some background. This is Acts chapter 12. Pick it up in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Listen to this. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I want you to remember that. Peter's put in prison, James is killed, but it says that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, I don't think it was just a coincidence that that very night, as the church is gathered praying, Peter's in prison, that an angel of God comes to Peter, kicks him in the side, wakes up Peter, takes his locks off, and walks Peter right out of the prison. He starts walking him through the town, and outside of the town, we pick up in verse 11. And when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Do you see the story here? Peter was persecuted. He was brought into prison where the next day he was likely going to be killed. And so the church together prays for the kingdom of God to come in and that Peter would be released from prison. And it says that very night that Peter was released and he goes and what's he find the church doing? He finds the church 
praying together. Go back and look at verse five. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. Just imagine the headlines the next day in the newspaper or the rock or script, whatever they used back then. Just imagine the headlines the next day. Peter was in prison, but the church prayed. Peter was going to be killed the next day, but his home church prayed and he was released. Just think about the headlines in Houston, what they could be. What they could be. Houston's economy was devastated, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. Drug and pornography addiction was on the rise, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. Sex trafficking poses amazing threat, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. Or maybe on a more personal note, my marriage was headed for divorce, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. My child ran away from the Lord, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. Doctors told me that I had cancer, but Bayou City Fellowship prayed. You know, Josh and Lisa, I think I saw them back there. They were up here and they shared their testimony uh, just a few weeks ago, how seven weeks ago she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they found out. And the first Sunday they came back, guess what they did? They came forward and they received prayer. So they go and they talk to the doctors because they were seeking direction. They meet with a bunch of doctors. The next Sunday they come back and they live out James 5, which says, call upon the elders of your church to anoint you with oil so that you can be healed. And so the next Sunday they come back and we go back to the access room and actually the access room couldn't hold us. So we all gathered down here and the elders, uh, Mr. Les and a few others, uh, Tom, uh, laid hands and anointed her with oil and we prayed as a church over her. And then the morning of her surgery, she had to be downtown early, early, early at MD Anderson. And she wakes up, and they're leaving about 4 o'clock in the morning. And she opens her door, steps outside, and what does she find? A group of Bayou City Fellowship ladies who are already praying for her. They got around her, and they laid hands on her, and they prayed for her. See, that's what church looks like, guys. That's where the rubber meets the road. See, see, Lisa's story was I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. But Bayou City Fellowship prayed. We've got many others in this room. Paul Game, his, his back was so much pain that he couldn't interact with his grandkids. His story goes, I had back pain that debilitized me where I could not interact with my grandkids the way I want. But one day I stood up and I received prayer. But the church prayed. But the church prayed. You see, all of our testimonies have the possibility of including, but the church prayed. What Satan meant to harm me was turned around because my church prayed. You see, the possibilities when we co-labor with God in prayer is that the impossible becomes possible, that things that could not happen can happen when we humble ourselves and we pray together. Now, Now, here is the challenging part when I preach a message like this, so challenging, that, that some of us in this room, we've had those stories where we've prayed and we've seen God move in amazing ways. And we ask for that all the time here at Bayou City Fellowship. But here's the reality in this room. There are many of us in this room. We have prayed. We've had men and women of faith pray around us for specific things. Yet it didn't happen the way we wanted to. 
I pray for people to be healed that are dying, and guess what? They died. I've prayed for marriages to be reconciled, and they've ended in divorce. I prayed for salvation for friends, family members. Yet as far as I know, they died not knowing Jesus. So, so what do we do with that? Because there's a lot of us in this room that our faith is struggling today because I've prayed those prayers there and nothing happened. Well, I think we learned something in this chapter. So we talked about Peter a lot, but what we kind of skip over sometimes is, is what happened to James. See, it starts out in chapter 12. It says that Herod the king laid violent hands to some who belonged to the church. He killed James. The brother of John. Now, now here's the thing. You got to remember, James was not just some Joe Schmo. James was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was one of the core guys to Jesus. Important to the church. And yet he was killed. He's dead. Now, I think it would be foolish for us not to think that the church prayed for James. Now, we don't get it from the context, so let me be clear. We don't know exactly what happened. But, but from what I know about the early church, they prayed over their people. And when they heard, hey, James is is in custody, we better pray for James. And what we find out is they prayed for James and James is dead. That didn't stop him though. Peter now is in custody. I'm gonna pray for Peter. See, here's what I think the new church, the early church had that sometimes we lack is we lack perspective. See, the early church, they recognized this concept that the kingdom of God, it's here, it's now, but it's not fully here. Jesus said, I'm I'm the inauguration of the kingdom of God, and it's going to break in, and and the old is going to be made new little by little, but but it's not fully new. There's still going to be people that die. And and just here's a, a, a breath of fresh air for some of us. Listen, all the people Jesus raised from the dead and prayed for, guess what? They all died. It's a hard truth for some of us to hear. (laughs) That we live in this season of history where God's kingdom is breaking in and we are asking God, God, this is not right. Let your kingdom break in. May this person be healed. May this baby live. May my coworker come to know you. And sometimes when we pray, we see the kingdom of God break in, but there's other times we pray And by a function of a fallen world, it doesn't happen. Because we live in this tension. It's already, but it's not fully. The kingdom of God is not here completely. Yet, here is our promise as believers that someday the kingdom of God will fully be here. That's why in Revelation chapter 21, it says this, of the new earth and the new heaven. When Jesus comes back and he sets up the new earth and the new heaven where there's no more tension about, man, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. This is what's gonna happen when he sets up the new earth. Revelation 21, verse four, he says, he, Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the formal things have passed away. So so this is my encouragement to us as a church that when we pray together, our our objective is to be united with God first and foremost. And as we're connected with God and as we see him as our daddy, our father, our papa, we're also connected with one another as we pray together. And, And that leads us then to pray for God's direction, to hear from God 
His sheep hear his voice. So we wanna hear from God so we can align with God. And out of that though, at the same time, we have full faith. Even if our past prayers were unanswered, even if our past prayers led to more pain than breakthrough, what we see in the early church is they would take that and they would still say, but but my God is able. Yeah, I still have pain because James is dead, but I'm gonna pray for Peter like the kingdom of God is gonna break in. And so, so we pray as a church that God's kingdom would come today that the atmosphere of heaven would break into our lives just as it is there, that it would become a reality here. And so we pray that way. And I wanna encourage you, if in the past you've, you've been there, just like I have been, and there's still pain in your heart today, that I understand, and I guarantee Jesus cries just as much as you do about the situation. But someday it'll all be made right, someday. And today we still can ask it to be made right here and now and this requires a few things as a church if we're going to really engage in corporate prayer it requires three things it requires faith faith first that I'm going to ask for prayer that I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to reach out to the prayer ministry team or the access room and I'm going to ask for prayer but it also requires faith for the person that's praying saying I don't know all the answers but I'm going to pray with faith that the kingdom of God would break in it also requires grace and mercy If we're gonna pray with one another, we can't pass a judgment. We need a place that's fully open to honesty and trust. And and lastly, if we're gonna really embrace this corporate prayer, we must grow in our love for one another and our love for God. Paul says, apart from that, it's all a waste of time anyhow. And so today, as we close and as we move into our prayer ministry team, where we're gonna put this corporate prayer into action. I love this, that we don't have to leave here and get to the parking lot and forget everything. Like right now, we're gonna apply this teaching. We're gonna have prayer ministry uh, guys down front, just normal Joes like you and me, but they wanna join their faith with your faith as we approach the king. And here's four things I want us to consider today. And maybe one of these will resonate with you and I don't want you to sit in your seat for a second longer after we ask you to come forward. You come forward. Number one is if you're struggling with unity in your life, You've got some relationships that are struggling. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness or maybe you've been wronged. Maybe you've been offended. Then you come and receive prayer. You confess and you receive forgiveness. Number two is if you're seeking direction or wisdom. Maybe you're like me and I was trying to figure out a career move or maybe I was trying to figure out where to live or what to do with my family or maybe to go over missions. Whatever you're asking for, we wanna pray for you. The third thing is if you've got pain from past prayers that you perceive we're unanswered. If there's a place in your heart where you're like, Derek, I just don't feel like I can open up again to pray, then maybe today is a place where you can find healing and you can find some faith. And then lastly, if today you need your story to be but the church prayed, financial breakthrough, relational, your faith, your work, whatever that is, physical bodies, if you need your story to be fill in the blank but the church pray, then you come forward and you receive prayer. So church, go ahead and stand up. I'm going to ask the prayer ministry team to come in. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. And if that's you today and you say, I just need some prayer, or maybe it has nothing to do with what I just said. Maybe you just don't even know about Jesus today and you want to ask somebody about him then do not hesitate. You come forward and get prayer today. Uh, Lord, as we come together right now, we just join in prayer. 
thank you that you say those who draw near to you, you will draw near to them. And uh, Holy Spirit, you're the comforter, and so I pray that you would comfort some people today, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're also the one that convicts and encourages and pours out the Father's love. Will you do just that today? You know every heart, every mind, every person in this room. Will you speak to them? And may we have ears to hear and eyes to see. And would we have courage and faith to step out and receive prayer and pray over others. In Jesus' name, amen.